Are you ready for the word tonight? Okay, much better. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is going to be the foundation for our new series that we're launching tonight called Consumed. So I need you to do me a favor. I need you to turn and tell the person sitting on each side of you it's going to be fire. I got a feeling. I've got a feeling this series is going to be fire. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verse 28. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If you flip through the pages of Scripture, you'll find God referenced to, symbolized by, or manifesting himself as fire a lot. When we see Elijah on Mount Carmel facing off against the prophets of Baal, he told them, I tell you what, we'll set up an altar to Yahweh. You can set up an altar to Baal. You cry out to your God and I'll cry out to my God. And the one who answers by fire will be the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal dance around. They shout out for Baal to come down and consume the altar. And hours pass by and nothing happens. Elijah calls out to Yahweh God. God responds in fire. He not only consumes the altar, but he licks up the fire or the water that Elijah had poured on top of it just to celebrate the point. On Mount Sinai, when God descended down and spoke with Moses and handed him the Ten Commandments, he did so in a flame of fire. As he led his people out of Egypt towards the Promised Land, he led them by a pillar of fire at night. When he appeared to Moses the first time to give him his calling, he did so in a burning bush. At Pentecost, as the believers stood and proclaimed the gospel for the first time of Jesus Christ, we're told that flames like fire came and sat on their shoulder. Oftentimes throughout Scripture, we see God manifesting himself in such a way. We just saw the writer of Hebrews put it as a consuming fire. And if our God is a consuming fire, then as his people, can I suggest that we should be consumed by him? People can become consumed with a lot of different things. Have you noticed? We can become consumed with academics, athletics, appearance, hobbies, money, materialism, TV series. All kinds of different things have a temptation to pull at us and tempt us with our consumption to the point where our lives become swallowed up in the pursuit and the passion and the pleasure of that thing. And so as I came across this passage in my studies, began asking God where he was going to lead us and direct us as far as the series to get into, he began to speak to me about some specific things, such as what would it look like if we as God's people allowed ourselves to be consumed by him? What if we became swallowed up in our pursuit and our passion of him? What if we became swallowed up in the pleasure and the privilege of knowing and living and surrender to him? What, as a matter of fact, does a consumed life look like? And before we see that, we've got to lay a foundation. We're going to get that from the text that we just read. I titled this message tonight, He's on Fire. I'd be curious to know what was the first thing that came to your mind when you heard that. Maybe nothing. I asked a couple of buddies of mine. One of them said, Ricky Bobby. Some of you will get it later. But one of my other buddies said exactly what I was thinking when it came to mind. That was NBA Jam. Does anybody in here remember NBA Jam? My gosh, I'm getting old. Like, you got to go back to, like, the Sega Genesis days. Y'all know what a Sega Genesis is? I'm getting even older by the minute. Like, 
that was like one of the first gaming consoles that ever came out. And with that came this, this NBA jam. So it was literally like two-on-two -two basketball with NBA players. And a part of it was after you made a certain number of shots in a row, your guy would be on fire. And there was like this iconic voice that is etched in my brain, Matt. I know you appreciate this in the back. Like, after you would make so many shots in a row, the guy would literally yell, he's on fire. And the ball would like have these flames on it. And like for those, for that time period, it was like amazing. It was like the coolest thing ever. And like when that happened, like you were unstoppable. I mean, you could not miss. You can shoot it from like the other end. I mean, we're throwing up like 90 footers and it's like draining every single time. And that, your guy would remain on fire until you missed a shot. In the same way, guys, our God's on fire. He can't miss. He can't be stopped. And so over the next few moments that we have together, I want us to uncover what all our God as a consuming fire entails. And the first of which is this, God's fire can't be contained. Ever since man found out that fire can be harnessed and used as a tool and a resource, we have found ways to do just that, to harness it. We've got fireplaces in homes. You've got fire pits in your yards. We use it for cooking purposes. We use it for recreational purposes. We use it for survival purposes if we need to. But there are times when fire becomes uncontainable for us. And it develops into a force that we cannot just stop at will. House fires, forest fires, examples of when fire becomes uncontainable. And when that happens, we try to calm it, but we can't contain it. It spreads beyond what we can control. God's consuming fire cannot be contained or controlled by us. Listen to what Psalm 115.3 says. It says that our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God as a consuming fire cannot be put in a box by his creation. God as a consuming fire cannot be hemmed in or laced up by his enemies or his adversaries. No matter how desperately man may try to put God in the box, no matter how desperately the enemy may try to hem God in and ruin or fool his plans, God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He cannot be contained. He cannot be controlled. And when we consider him in this way, it really speaks to two specific things that I kind of want to highlight for you within this point. It speaks to his power. Nothing can stop the purposes and the plans of God from being accomplished. So some of you need to take a deep breath of relaxation and knowing that if God has a plan and a purpose upon your life, there's nothing that's going to stop that from moving forward. If you will continue to walk in obedience to him, there is nothing that the people around you can do to stop God's plan and purposes for your life from moving forward. If you will commit to walking in obedience and surrender to him, listen to me, you're going to have some failures and mistakes along the way. Even your own failures and your own mistakes cannot stop God's plans and purposes from moving forward in your life. If you want a perfect example of that, go to the book of Psalms, go look through the Kings, go look through Samuel and look at David's life. Y'all do realize that David was a man after God's own heart, but David was jacked up too. This man has some issues, and yet in spite of his failures, in spite of his mistakes, nothing could stop God's plans and purposes for David's life. It speaks to God's power. It speaks to how he is unmatched and how he is 
unequaled in all things. First Chronicles 29, verse 11, I'm going to read part of this verse. says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Psalm 62, 11 says this, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Then Isaiah chapter 40, you have to hang with me for a second because I'm going to read kind of an extensive couple of verses out of this, but it, it speaks to God's uncontainable power. And listen to what it says in verse 12. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nation is like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Skip down to verse 25. says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? There's nobody like God. There is none that match up to him. There is none that equal him. People can deny him. People can refuse him. People can curse him. It was a stretch of time in history when we even attempted to kill him, but he cannot be contained and he cannot be controlled. He is above all things. It speaks to his power. It also speaks to his kingdom. A kingdom that the writer says cannot be shaken or cannot be stopped. It's like a wildfire that spreads out of control. I was, uh, it's, been a, it's been a few years back now, but I was at the driving range one afternoon. I like to golf. And I had some free time in the afternoon, and so I thought, I'm just going to run to the driving range, I'm going to hit some balls. And so I get out there, and I get good and warmed up, and I get about 15 or 20 shots in, and I'm actually over in Muscle Shoals. So it's kind of across the river from here for those of you that might not be familiar with the area. Well, my parents live at a place called Sunset Beach, which from right here, this very moment, would take you about 20 to 25 minutes to get there. From Muscle Shoals, about a solid 40 minutes to get there. So I'm hitting balls on a range, and my phone rings, and I look, and it's my mother, and I answer the phone, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm at the driving range, I'm hitting balls. She's like, well, your father has done set the entire cliff on fire. They live on the side of the lake. It's kind of up on a bluff, and they hadn't been living there all that long, and my dad was trying to clear a view so he could see from his deck. So in the process of that, he was trying to burn off the side of the cliff. So she's like wigging out of it. She's like, you're going to have to get down here. He's down there with the hose. He can't get the fire put in. It's headed towards the neighbor's house. Like, we're fixing to burn the entire subdivision down. If you don't get here and do something, I'm like, well, call the fire department. I can't do anything. I'm like 40 minutes away. She's like, we're just going to have to get down here. Click. So I like 
throw my balls over to the guy beside me. I was like, hey, man, apparently my parents are burning the lake down, so I got to run. And so I jump in the truck, and I take off, and I'm like, if I get pulled over, I'm going to send them the ticket because this is, this, is not, this is not my doing. And so I take off as fast as I can. I get down there, and my dad's on the side of the cliff. He's got like five water hoses strung together. He's like falling down on the side. There's like burnt stuff everywhere. He's spraying the hose, and it's not really doing much good. Well, finally, we get it under control, and we get it put out like as it's crossing over onto the neighbor's boundary line. Completely out of control. He thought he could handle it by himself. He obviously couldn't. It began to spread beyond what he could contain, beyond what he could control. Listen, so is the nature of God's kingdom through the gospel message. It's like a fire. And once it begins to take, it goes. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see it take off like that amongst our group. I would love to see the gospel spread like a fire amongst us. And just like it made a beeline for my parents' neighbors' properties, I would love for it to see us consume us and then move towards our neighbors to consume them. And there's no putting this fire out. We're not going to do anything to stomp it out. We're not going to let the devil stomp it out. We're going to continue to feed it so it continues to spread so people are radically changed by the power of the gospel. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. I'm going to go back and finish that verse. It says, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. God will grow his kingdom, men and women. He will grow his kingdom. It is not a matter of if. He will do it. And he will call to himself people who will serve in that capacity to help him do it. God will grow his kingdom and it will never fall. Psalm 145 verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. When we consider God in this way, we see that it speaks to his power and we see that it speaks to his kingdom. From the moment Christ ascended until the moment he returns, his kingdom is spreading. So listen to me here because we're going to have more to say on this in the coming weeks, but we need to be praying that the fire of God will begin to fall on and consume our campus, our dorms, our apartments, our family, our friends, our churches, our city, because when it does, it begins to spread, and people can't control it, and the enemy can't contain it, and souls are redeemed, lives are renewed, the kingdom is expanded, and God is exalted. Listen, I don't care, I don't care how dark the times may be. I hear that so much in church culture now. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Times are so dark. The enemies at work, how are we going to... I don't care how dark the times may be or how deeply the culture seems to have drowned God out. I referenced earlier when Elijah stood on the mountaintop against Baal and his prophets and God called down fire. He not only consumed the altar, he evaporated the water. Listen to me, darkness can't overcome God's light and culture cannot drown out his flame. Therefore, let us be grateful for our God is a consuming fire. Cannot be contained. God's fire burns up impurity. That's my second encouragement for you. God's fire burns up impurity. Fire can be super useful, but it can also be super destructive. On a yearly basis, they tell us that house fires accumulate, on average, $12 billion in damage throughout a year's time. Wildfires throughout a year's time, will decimate, on average, 7.5 million acres. 
Fire can be super useful, but it can also be very destructive. When fire burns hot enough, it can burn up virtually anything in its path. Now, I need you to hear this correctly because we need to get this right. God's fire is destructive, but not in a damaging way, in a purifying way. I will restate it one more time because it is so important that you understand it. God's fire is destructive, but not in a damaging way, in a purifying way. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. It's purifying in that it destroys the impurities of our heart. So listen to what Malachi the prophet said in chapter 3. He says, for he, speaking about God, he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So God's word tells us that he is like a refiner's fire. You know what a refiner's fire is? A refiner's fire is what a smith would use to heat up precious metals so that, let's say specifically gold or silver, as he heats those up, those impurities, sometimes referred to as dross, would come to the surface of those metals. So as the gold or the silver melts, the impurities that would decrease the value of that thing, by the way, come to the surface and then are burned up by the fire as it continues to burn. So God is like a refiner in our life. His fire works in our lives to bring out and burn up our impurities. That's what I meant by when I said God's fire is destructive, but not in a damaging way. God does not damage his creation. God purifies his creation. And that's exactly what his fire does when he works it in our lives. So as he does that, as those things, as those impurities, as he turns up the heat in our lives and the impurities of our heart come to the surface, he burns those things up. So what remains is a pure vessel that can be used for his honor and for his glory. This is a fascinating concept if you will lock in and understand it. I said earlier that refiners do this to precious metals because the impurities that are in them are the things that would cheapen their value. God in his great love and his grace and his mercy for us turns the heat up in our lives to bring the things that cheapen our value before him to the surface so he can do away with them. So what is left is a pure and honorable vessel. Paul said it to Timothy like this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, in a great house are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy. Do you think holy is a value? Absolutely. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. When God's fire heats up our lives, those dishonorable, those impure things come up to the surface. Our selfishness, our pride, our ego, our lustful desires, that envy, that greed, that disobedience, that anger, all those things that are against his spirit come to the surface and he does away with them. And once he does away with them, we can then offer ourselves to him in this way. Romans six thirteen says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. As a kid, one thing I remember my dad telling me when I was close to getting in trouble was I'm fixing to light you up. Anybody ever get that from your father? (laughs) 
It's funny. <laughs> we can't light Joyce up. Come on, that's too sweet. My son, on the other hand, yeah. It's funny how much of your parents begin to come out of you when you become one. So now, like, he's, he's two. You know, we're getting to the point where we understand some things, and I already find myself using them. Like, I'm fixing to light you up. You want me to pull up? I'll pull over. You're going to stop crying, or I'm going to give you something to cry about. It's like, I got them all filed back. Like, I've been waiting my whole life to use these on somebody else. I remember my dad telling me that. Like, when I was close to getting in trouble, he turned around and said, I'm fixing to light you up, as in light up that backside. Something was fitting to be on fire back there. And he would. He absolutely would. And it was never enjoyable. It was never something that I looked forward to. But in truth, it was one of the most loving things he did for me. Why? Because I learned. I learned to be respectful. I learned to work hard. I learned to act properly. I learned to be obedient. You know, there are times when God has to light us up. It's not enjoyable. It definitely burns a little. But it's one of the most loving things that he can do for us. Why? Because it makes us more like him. Listen to me. Hear this. I don't care if you hear anything else or not. I want you to hear this specific thing. So many people want the help of God without the heat of God. They want churches, they want messages, they want small groups to only tell them how God is for you, how he has a purpose for you, has a calling for you that you can't even imagine, that he will save you, that he will radically change your destiny. And listen to me, yes, that is true, absolutely 100%. But that's only true in part. God has amazing things in store. It hasn't even entered into your mind or your heart the things that he has in store for you if you are one of his children. But listen to me, salvation doesn't come without the heat of conviction. Calling doesn't come without the heat of surrender. Change doesn't come without the heat of denial. Heat is uncomfortable. The moment people get hot, you know what they start doing? They start squirming. They can't sit still. Some of you in here tonight are probably getting a little warm. Already you're starting to like twist and turn in your seat as if there's a cool spot in there somewhere that you haven't found yet. And you're convinced that it's there, so you're going to find it. Nobody, I don't care what you say, Nobody can sleep when it's hot. What do you do when you get hot in bed? You wake up and you flop, you turn, you fling the covers off, you throw the pillow across the room, you sit up and you turn the fan on as high as it'll go, and then you turn it off, then you turn it on again to make sure you've got it on the highest setting. You go over to the thermostat and you're like, can this thing get down to like 47? Like, Nobody can sleep when it's hot. Why? Because heat is uncomfortable. It's not enjoyable. That's why I hate summer. If you like summer, come talk to me afterwards. we got some things we got to work through. I don't like summer. I don't like heat. Heat is uncomfortable. Heat is not fun. When we get hot, we start squirming. Listen to me. When God turns up the heat in your life, it may make you squirm a little bit. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be something that you look forward to. But we should welcome God's fire in our lives. Why? Because when he brings it, he's getting impurities out of it. So by all means, Lord, heat me up all you want to because I want the impurities gone. God's fire burns up impurities. I'm praying as we walk through these things week to week that even though it might not be comfortable, praying that God turns the heat up in our lives 
so that some things that we need burnt up can be gotten rid of. One last thing, God's fire commands our respect. Go back and look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let me tell you one sure thing about fire. Fire commands respect. You know the saying, right? Don't play with fire or you'll get burned. Yeah, what can we help but not do? <laughs> How many of you would readily admit to being someone who plays with fire? Like somebody lights up a fire outside, you find a candle, like you're just walking over there and you're like... You go over to somebody's house and they got the fire pit going. You're that person that always has a stick in their hand and they're just like. <laughs> I like, I've got him going. <laughs> you think I could jump over that? How many times have you heard that around a fire? I bet you I could jump over that. Fire is the one thing we're told not to play with or you'll get burned. Yet what do we do? We see if we can play with it. I don't see him in here. David Askew, our lead guitar player right here. This is a true story. We went to eat at a restaurant in Muscle Shoals a while back. It's called Salt. It's an amazing place. I took our worship team out just as an appreciation dinner. And here's what they do. It's a kind of a cool concept. So it's like a steakhouse. And so what they do is... They have an oven in the back, and they will sear your steak at seven to 800 degrees, like just that quick on both sides, and they will bring it out to you. And then what they bring it out on is this tablet. And on that tablet, you have this Himalayan salt rock that's heated to 450 degrees, and you can literally cook each bite of your steak to the level that you want it cooked at. It's incredible, but like you can feel the heat coming off that rock when they set it on your table. And so we get done with our meal. <laughs> we get done with our meal. And of course, curiosity just begins to overwhelm the table. And we're all like, just how hot do you think that rock is? Like, it's been sitting there for a while now. And so then, then kind of the, the gamble goes across the table like, you won't touch it. <laughs> and so David decides, he's, we're all like, well, just put, put your finger on there for like one second. So <laughs> none of us are going to do it. We've all kind of forgotten about it. And then David decides he's actually going to do it. So he puts his thumb on the rock for literally half a second and goes, oh! <laughs> Instantly, like, begins to blister, like, grabs Brother Matt, our student pastor. He's sitting across from me, has a glass of water, like, dumps his thumb in Matt's water. Like, it's the one thing you can't play with. Don't play with fire. You're going to get burnt. Yeah, we can't help but play with it every time we get around it. But you know what? We play around with God too much. Our God is a consuming fire that we play around with too much. We trifle with sin. We disrespect his name and his word. And a lot of that comes from us having lost a healthy fear of who he is. As a consuming fire, our God commands respect. He is not someone to play with. And I say this like with all serious not guys because every single one of us needs to hear it. Our culture, our churches even, 
have for some reason thought that it was okay to take God and bring him down to our level. I know there was like, there was some, there was some clothing a while back that got real popular and I saw several people walk around wearing stuff that, that would say like, God is my homeboy. I understand the concept behind that, I guess, but God is not your homeboy. He is almighty. He is holy. He is righteous. He dwells in unapproachable light. And he commands our respect as the creator and sustainer of this universe. He is not someone to play around with. The writer says that he deserves reverence. You know what reverence is? It's respect. And so I'm praying that God would restore in his church a reverent fear of him once again. Earlier in the passage, the writer referenced when God descended on Mount Sinai to hand Moses the Ten Commandments. And if you go back and look a few verses up from what we've been reading in Hebrews chapter 12, Moses said, I trembled in fear. Like real fear. Have you ever been scared to the point of trembling? In the Old Testament, that's the kind of fear they had of God. Like a real terror, a real fear because he was so awesome, so mighty, so holy. He's descended on this mountain. It is literally shaking the base of it. God says, don't let anybody touch it because if they do, they're going to fall over dead. These people were in terror. They had a fear of God's holiness and his mightiness. Moses, who talked with him face to face as he's going up there, said, I trembled with fear and dread because I knew I was going to encounter him. And when we reestablish our reverence, when we reestablish our respect for the Almighty, what then happens is the all part comes naturally. Have you ever noticed when people stand around a fire? All everybody naturally seems to do is just stare at it. It's like we're entranced by it. <laughs> it's funny. But seriously, the next time you're around a group of people and there's a fire going, just take a look around the circle at how many people are just doing this. <laughs> I mean, fire is like the one thing where a group of people can get together and nobody say a word for like 15 minutes and everybody's perfectly fine with it. Because we're all just like... We're, we're mesmerized by it. We can't take our eyes off of it. That's the kind of awe we should be looking at our consuming fire with. That's the kind of awe that God commands. He's the kind of God that, that dwells in unapproachable light that, that is labeled as a consuming fire that we should look at with our lives and just go, whoa, that's awesome. That's cool. That's amazing. It's something that I want to get close to but it's not something I want to play with. By all means, God welcomes us to get as close to him as we possibly can. But nowhere in his word does he advise that we play around with his holiness. Come get close to me. Come live in intimacy with me. But don't play around with my holiness. Don't play around with my righteousness. Seeing our God as a consuming fire should awe us and command our respect. Our God's on fire. So let me ask you something. Do we want to be consumed by him? 
Do you really want to be consumed by God? Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.